0: Is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, so please follow along with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. This is a word of God. Now I'll invite Pastor Young up onto the stage.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, really great to be with you this morning. My name is Young, pastor here at New Life, uh, as you heard. I've got a little bit of a uh, different setup today uh, with our seating. Uh, we're trying to accommodate for all the different people that are coming along the service. Um, I think it makes things a little bit louder when we talk. Like, it feels like we have like a, like a wall of noise a little bit. Uh, so hopefully it's not too bad for you. Uh, We're continuing on in our series through 1 Corinthians, United as One, and so we've been going through this section looking at how God is renewing humanity through true worship, and last week we looked at spiritual gifts and the way that the Corinthians misused these gifts, Um, and today Paul shows us a better way. So how about we pray, and we'll look straight into uh, what that is. Father, we long for that better way. We long for your love to shine forth, and we long, Lord, to let ourselves decrease so that you might increase. We want it to be, Lord, that it's not just our personalities, it's not just our affections or our feelings or whatever our thoughts are that lead us in our daily lives, but we want it to be you. We want, Lord, for your love to be the thing that leads us, we want, Lord, for it to be your love that defines us, that changes us from the inside out. Would you fill our hearts with this love and would it be, Lord, that you write upon our hearts what this love is, that you give us great wisdom so that we might be able to understand what it is that you're saying through 1 Corinthians 13, that you might give us ears, that we might hear you, and that we might be able to see each other with the eyes of love that you have. Would you guide us, Lord, would you help us, Lord, to put, us, put aside all distractions and help us, Lord, to be a compassionate people. We long to know you. We long to see you face to face. And until that day, Lord, we will love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, sometimes I find that the simplest, uh, most straightforward things are the toughest and the most complex things to live out. You know, the the simplest things in life. Because there's a beautiful simplicity about the Christian life and about what Christianity is, especially when it's distilled down to two points. Something that's really easy to remember love God and love your neighbor. So easy. Love God and love your neighbor. It's so simple, and yet it's so hard to live out. You know, we're given over to sinful self centeredness, it manifests in things like defensiveness. We protect our pride we ask all sorts of what-if questions, like, what if they take advantage of my kindness? What if they never learn? Or what if I get hurt by loving? What's the best way for us to worship God together? What is it? We've been talking about this true worship for a little while, so what is the best way for us to worship God together? Even in the midst of recognizing our sinful self-centeredness, You know, is it something like easily understandable preaching that entertains you, it's easy to apply into your life? Or is it gifts and giftedness, you know, really talented singing and music, people giving particularly timely counsel to you so that we don't really have to think about it, we can just apply it straight into our lives? Is this what true worship looks like? Paul says here that love is the most perfect and only eternal way to worship God. It's only love. Love is the only thing that will last. Love is the most perfect and only eternal way to worship God. And this is the even better way that Paul is talking about at the end of chapter 12, which we saw last week. Now, before we go further, let's talk about love. What comes to your mind when we talk about love? Because immediately, the moment I start talking about love, the moment that you even read this passage— 1 Corinthians 13, a lot of us will be familiar with this. If you've ever been to a wedding before, you might have heard this. If you've ever ever been to a Christian bookshop before, you might have seen this. Some of us begin to become a little bit passive in our listening, the moment that the word love comes out, feeling like we already know all about love. So where do we get this learning from? Many of us have some sort of idea in our minds, maybe a picture of what love looks like, and it comes from all sorts of different sources. And so in preparation for today, I tried to get into our minds. I myself have my own idea of what love is, but I thought maybe it's just very specific to me, and so I Googled love, just the word love to see what comes up. And the definition, according to Google, was an intense feeling of affection, of deep affection, The example sent the babies fill parents with feelings of love. Hopefully, that's the case. Liking or enjoying something. Other results, which I didn't include here, it didn't fit on the page, included opinion pieces about love, about why he doesn't love you, all sorts of stuff like that. A TV show called Love, I haven't seen that before. A news article about a basketball player named Kevin Love. He bought out his contract, apparently. These are the things that Google told me that love is all about. But none of these are quite satisfactory, are they? Like if someone told you I have a deep feeling of affection towards you or I like you or I enjoy you, who would be moved by this? Maybe this intense feeling might describe love for the K-drama crowd. You know, I'm part of this crowd as well. Who might see that intense feeling expressed in something like a guy grabbing a girl by the wrist and confessing something. Is this love? Or enjoying something might describe the way that many of us use the word love to describe our hobbies or the foods that we like. But when we read 1 Corinthians 13, what is it that comes to mind? You know, we might assume that this is talking about romantic love between a man and a woman. We might use this as a bit of a guidebook for the married couples. and That's okay, it works well in this light. It's a little bit more rebuking than reassuring sometimes. But it's not the original purpose that Paul had in mind when he wrote this. Because love that satisfies goes beyond romantic love. Jesus himself was not romantically involved. Paul himself was not romantically involved. So how does love come about? The Bible talks about it all throughout. You know, whether in the many commands to love in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, or Jesus' example of self-sacrificial love. And then here in 1 Corinthians 13, we see a guide for all Christians, not just those who are married, not just those who are romantically involved, about how to properly use their spiritual gifts. And more importantly, how to end this conflict that the Corinthians have in their church. And I guess for all of us today, this chapter shows us how to live as Christians, how to just live as Christians, how to deal with conflict between one another. So proper use of spiritual gifts, this seems to be what it's talking about, yes? Okay, so in in context, when you read the letter straight through like you do with any other letter, this thing that we call chapter 13, it follows right after Paul's been talking about the spiritual gifts, which we read last week, which we talked about last week. And Paul basically tells them that the gifts are useless. They're meaningless. They hold no value at all with the lack of love. If you don't love, what's the point? Look at verses one to three. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, as in martyrdom, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Look at what Paul says here. Without love... I am a noisy gong, I am a clanging cymbal, I am nothing, I gain nothing. Now the Corinthians, they've shown themselves to use their gifts in entirely selfish ways. They've done this all throughout the letter, you can see this, they've lacked love and all the while they've patted themselves on the back believing that just their use, just the fact that they even have these gifts make them into something that they're not. Because without love, they are nothing, they gain nothing. Then the same for us then. Whatever gifts that we exercise, however we might serve at church, this includes me as well, whatever we do, we might think that God's really pleased with these things that we'll get a lot of well done, good and faithful servants. But without love, we are nothing. We gain nothing even if we take it further and imagine the most perfect version of whatever gifts that we might display. Because this is what Paul's talking about here when he talks about all knowledge, all wisdom, all faith. Let's say in our scenario right now in our Sunday service that the most perfect version is of me preaching the most perfect message, the best sermon with the best delivery at the most perfect time for you. Just cut straight to the heart in the most understandable way. Right? Right? And you're able to receive everything with great faith without struggling with distractions on your phone or your sleepiness. And you decide to apply it directly into your life immediately. But without love, it's all just meaningless noise. I am a noisy gong. You're a clanging cymbal. And there have been a few times in my life when I'm self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Who is love for? Like when you read this, who is love for? Who is the one who receives love? Love is all about seeking gain for others. When we love, we seek For others to gain, not for us. So, who benefits from your patience? Those that you're patient with. Who benefits from your kindness? Those that you're kind towards. Who benefits from your gifts? Those that you serve with the gifts that God has given you. When you think about what kind of faith Christianity really is, one where we take up our cross daily and we follow our Savior. It's typified by not only our imitation of, but actual transformation to become more like Jesus. So shouldn't our love look like his? We examine Jesus' love, and we can see what our love should look like. And One of the most enduring images in my mind and my heart when I think about the love of Jesus is of him washing all of his disciples' feet, of sharing in his final meal with them. I can't stop thinking about my God, on his hands and knees in front of these guys that are going to betray him. He's stripped down like a slave so that he can wash their feet, so he can really get in there before he gives them the command to do what? To love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. As he washes Judas's feet, as he washes Peter's feet, he's going to deny him in a couple of hours, three times, and to say he never knew him. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Whatever you might think about the person that's, that you're thinking of, when you think about why you can't love that person, let's move it closer. I know that my Savior, when he went to the cross, he thought about me. He thought about you. Fully deserving of his judgment and wrath, And he embodied patience and kindness instead. And he said, Father, forgive them as he died. We as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be patient and kind even when we get provoked by others. We should grow in patience without complaints like Jesus. How long should we be patient for? For as long as Jesus is patient. We should be kind the way that Jesus is, manifesting, just demonstrating compassion and mercy in everything that we do, in our actions. Just like Jesus, God incarnate in the world that he created, he came to this world in a visible way to show love. How long should we be kind for? For as long as Jesus is kind. All of the stuff that Paul lists here, whether it's what love is or isn't, it's based on the behavior of the Corinthians. So it's not an exhaustive list. When we look at this, this vision of love, when we look at this passage about love, it's not an exhaustive list. Because I'm sure you can come up with other things that love is. But if you turn everything into opposites, you can see why Paul writes about these things. Because this is exactly what the Corinthians are going through. This is how the Corinthians have been acting. They've been impatient and unkind with one another. We've seen this. They talk about taking each other to court. They envy each other's gifts. They're boasting and prideful about their own statuses. like To the fact that they even push each other out of communion. They're arrogant and believing that there's something special in God's eyes. They rudely insist on their own way of doing things instead of giving way to other people. They're irritable and easily angered. They're counting up everyone's wrongs. They rejoice in wrong instead of right. When someone gets what's coming to them, they go, yes. I pray we don't see ourselves in this. Because new life. Look at the picture of love. Love does not envy. If you have negative feelings over another person's success, that's envy. Love is not boastful. Can you possibly imagine being boastful and loving at the very same time? Like theologian Gordon Fee, he points out that one action wants others to think highly of them, whether deserving or not. This is the boasting part, right? But the other, love, it doesn't care anything about this. It's only for the good of the community as a whole. It's only for the good of others. This is love. Love is not arrogant, because how can anyone want to put attention on themselves and their self-perceived importance instead of Christ? Love is not rude. Pursuing your own interests, regardless of whatever effect this might have on other people around you. This me-first mentality has no place in love. This, I might struggle with this part the most because I keep thinking surely I deserve it more or surely love is not self-seeking in the original language Paul wrote here love does not seek its own blank and you're supposed to fill in the blank for yourself love doesn't seek your own whatever whatever you want to say whatever you want to put in that blank Love doesn't seek it. Love is not irritable. It's not easily angered. It's able to exercise self-control. Those of us with anger issues, this one cuts deep. Love does not keep a record of wrongs because when we're in Christ, there's no record of our sins against us. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth. This one's, we might not be sure about this, but this one's really strong in church. Hopefully not in our church, but this means that love is committed to true justice, of seeing itself in a right relationship with God, seeing others in a right relationship with God. The opposite would be if they take joy in others' failures. If it enjoys rebuke a little bit too much, like, hey, you know why you're wrong, and then you're just loving it? That's rejoicing in unrighteousness. How are you guys doing with this picture of love so far? That's a big, long list, right? This week, more than others, I think I was very aware of my behavior around the house. You, know, you, can, you can talk to Bora about how I was acting. It's not necessarily a pretty picture, unfortunately. My reactions, my emotions, even when you're aware of these things, even when you know, because I know what today's passage is going to be. I know what I'm going to be preaching on. And even then, it's a struggle. Like when I'm out of the house and someone drives very dangerously and cuts me off, you know, I'm thinking about today's passage. i got to fight that urge to honk or to high-beam them or whatever it is, right? Or my friend who's going to be in town for just a couple of days. His favorite soccer team, they're riding high, and then they finally lose. And i got to really fight that urge to ask him, hey, did you watch that game? Did you watch that game this morning? I get into disagreements with my family. i got to remind myself to be loving, to take it back. Like I said, though, sometimes the simplest, most straightforward things, they're the toughest to live out. I'm very aware of how much I complained, of how much I boasted, how much I thought about how to pursue my own good. If you think about the way that you've acted with other people, perhaps you'll see that as well, because we get worn down when we're trying to love. But love, it tells us, bears all things. It refuses to give up or give in. We wonder if anyone is going to have our back if we don't take care of business on our own. We wonder about this, especially if we don't get love from someone else, and we're constantly giving, constantly giving. Maybe some of you PG teachers know what I'm talking about. But love believes all things. Not giving up faith in God, not necessarily blindly trusting those around us who might have hurt us. This isn't what we're talking about here when we talk about believing all things. It doesn't mean that you, you know, naively go into things but instead it puts trust in God above it all because we know he's sovereign. We know he's got it planned out. We know that he's the one who called us to love so surely we can trust him. So when we live in this way, we manifest our faith in him. This is a picture of our faith in God. We might feel hopeless at times, but love hopes all things, we read in 1 Corinthians 13. It's not being syrupy sweet. It's not being naively optimistic but we remember that there's a future waiting for us we're heading there it's a new heavens and a new earth where everything will be made right where every tear will be wiped away no more crying no more death no more of any of these things but we're heading there we're not there yet we want to call it quits sometimes but love endures all things never gives up never falls through hatred and mocking, through everything. If all of this sounds like Jesus, this isn't a coincidence, okay? It's never a bad idea to image the love of Christ to those around us. Because the alternative is to do what the culture around us does, which is just a cheap imitation of the love that's being talked about here. Instead of uniting, we divide. We go off into our own factions. We go into those that are for and those that are against. We become overly obsessed with sexuality. We eventually destroy humanity instead of upholding the image of God that we're supposed to have. We mar it. Why will we turn to these things? Why will we give in to these things when love we read is even better than the spiritual gifts that we might enjoy? Read verses 8 to 12. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Because one day we're going to see the Lord face to face. We're going to be able to see him face to face and know him fully just as we're fully known. And at that time, love will still be there. You'll still receive the love of God. We'll still love him and we'll love one another. Even though spiritual gifts will cease. Now, you might wonder, why would this be the case? Why would spiritual gifts disappear? Because spiritual gifts are just a partial reality. They point to a perfection of creation that lies ahead, but they're not the perfection themselves. Those of you who are married and those of you who aren't married, okay, you might imagine this scenario. Think back to when you were single, or if you are single now, think back to now, (laughs) And you think about these things, right? Like you imagine what a relationship is gonna be like. You imagine what this perfect man or this perfect woman is gonna be like. I gotta not look and I gotta not laugh. Oh my gosh! All right. We think about these things. We imagine these things. Until what day? Until when? Thank you, Stella. You made me laugh, so that's you know. <laughs> All right, we think about these things, we imagine these things until when? Until we get married, hopefully. And then hopefully we're no longer imagining what this perfect relationship is going to be like with this imaginary person because you're already married at that point. Hopefully you're not still thinking, man, I can't wait for that day when I find that perfect man, perfect woman. I pray to God that that's not the case. We have a lot to talk about if it is. Because the partial ends when the perfection comes? What need will we have for prophecy or tongues or gifts of knowledge when we're going to have perfect communication, perfect communion, perfect relational knowledge with God and with his people? We'll no longer have miscommunication. We're no longer going to have that problem of not being able to see eye to eye. We no longer will need spiritual gifts for these things. It's love that will never end because in that time, we're going to continue to love God and his people because as the image of God is perfected in us, we too will embody love. Final verse there. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So it's not only above the spiritual gifts, but above the other virtues as well, above faith and hope, love is the greatest of all love seeking gain for others this is where we need to be at it's simple and yet it's so difficult it's it's impossible but with god all things are possible so we turn to him and pray and we ask him to rewrite our hearts in love this is the perfect time to begin if you don't consider yourself to be a loving person If you're thinking, how am I going to love the people around me? How am I going to love my church? How am I going to love these people that have hurt me? Now is the perfect time to begin. This Wednesday, Lent begins. If you've never heard about Lent before, Lent is the observance of the 40 days that Jesus spent fasting and praying in the wilderness. Resisting Satan's temptations before beginning his public ministry. For us today, what Lent represents, it's a solemn period for us to look forward to Easter and Resurrection Sunday when we're going to celebrate But until then, we mourn, we grieve with Jesus. It's the the perfect time for you to reflect as well when you examine yourself, when you consider, what are the sins in my life that I need to confess and repent of? Where do I need to grow spiritually? In this time, a lot of people make sacrifices. You might see people around you fasting from certain foods, meals, apps, phone, entertainment, whatever it might be. Whatever it is that you have the conviction in your heart, not the conviction of the people around you, but the conviction in your heart as you pray, live in simplicity is the point. Cut away all these other things and live in simplicity. It's great also to start taking part in some spiritual disciplines if you've been struggling recently especially. Read daily devotionals together. Pray together. It's in the simplicity that you live in during this time. Whatever time that you have that you've cut away from whatever else, you take that time to pray. Be charitable and give generously. And in these things, in the midst of it all, pray and ask God to help you to love. How about I lead us in a few prayer points? Why don't we pray in this time and ask God to reveal to us what it is in our hearts that we should be giving up? What are the sins that we need to confess and repent of? Because God knows. The question is do you know? Ask the Holy Spirit to lay it bare upon your heart that you can confess that you you can repent that you can spend these 40 days from wednesday getting rid of these things that you might live a new life so why don't we spend some time praying for them let's pray